Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we come before you thanking you again that we can gather in your name and we can uh, worship you because of what you have done for us, because of your love that you have poured out upon us and your, your willingness to come to this world and die on the cross for us. For this morning that you bless Brother John as he brings this message to us. May you enable him to preach your word and may you open our ears that we can hear the message that you have for us. Their hearts would receive what you have for us and we will be strengthened, encouraged, and convicted as we go from here. We also just pray this morning, especially for all those who, who are sick, many who are missing because of sickness. Just pray for your healing hand upon them and pray for your blessing upon our time together here in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Good morning to everyone. It's good to see those that are here. The first song this morning brought my mind back a couple years ago to when we had a group that size for a while and makes us thankful for the good health that we do have most of the time. I had my turn last week and it's almost over, but bear with me this morning. As we approach the Christmas season again, um, there's lots we could talk about. Lots in the Christmas story that we could share here, and I know it's the same story every year, but every year we find ourselves at a different place in life, and so I think we tend to kind of view it differently sometimes. And I know for myself, um, you know, we often seem to avoid Christmas songs the rest of the year, I'm not sure why, but I've been encouraged this year again in listening to some Christmas music. And the message, the theme of hope and joy that we do hear in Christmas songs, um, I would like to encourage us to sprinkle a few in some of the rest of the year as well. But as we think of the Christmas story, there's one aspect I want to focus on this morning. And in Luke chapter 2, which is generally referred to as the Christmas story, we know that the shepherds were the first to receive the news of Jesus' birth there. And I'll just read that verses quickly there. Don't need to turn to it, but probably say it by heart. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone on about them, and they were greatly afraid. And then it goes on to say how the angel told them the news of the Savior that was born that night and what they did. They went and they searched for the, for the baby Jesus. They found him. And we wonder sometimes, well, why did the angels first appear to the shepherds? And I think there's a number of reasons why he did that. But one of the reasons I believe God chose the shepherds to be the first to get the news was to draw attention to what the new baby was going to be, to what God's son was going to be, to be a shepherd. The, the king part would come later, would develop more fully later, but Jesus referred often to himself as the shepherd, as the good shepherd, and we as his sheep. So in light of that, I want to look at us as sheep for this morning, and I know we don't always like to identify as sheep, 
um, isn't always the most pleasant thing to think about, but we are referred to that. And so let's start with considering sheep, the animal sheep. Um, first, in thinking of this, the last couple of weeks, uh, I drove past three sheep farms. Now, if you're familiar with the area, you know, you have to go pretty far and wide to find three sheep farms, and these were probably nearly an hour apart. Uh, the one farm had quite a few, probably four or five hundred of them, if I had to guess. And the other two were much smaller, and I didn't see any shepherds at any of these farms, but all three looked as though they could use maybe the shepherd's care a little bit. Um, anyway, and so in our area, in our culture, we're not as familiar with sheep as we would have been or as they would have been in the past, and in other parts of the world are still very familiar with sheep. And in studying this, I learned some interesting things I did not know about sheep. So children, I'd like to include you guys in this. I have a question for you. What do we call a group of sheep? If we see sheep in the field, what do we call them? Austin, use your hand up. A flock. Thank you. I did some research on the word flock. Now, as we know, a flock, the word flock is used for certain groups of animals or birds, but not for others. We might refer to a flock of chickens, um, but not a flock of cows. Do we have flocks of cows? No flocks of cows. How about flocks of cats? <laughs> Do we ever see a flock of cats? I've seen quite a few, but they don't tend to be good flocks very much. So what's the difference? Why are some groups referred to as flocks and others are not? Somebody have an answer? Doesn't have to be one of the children, one of the adults. Go ahead. The flocks tend to clump together, they congregate, and other animals are more off on individual. That's correct, yes. Yes, thank you. So the word flock refers to an animal or bird that functions better within a group of its kind along with the social laws, leadership, protection, and even the pecking order that comes along with being part of a larger group. Yes. They do. Thank you. And they're, and they're very um, structured like that, yes. Thank you, John. Thank you. It's also true. So groups of cows and pigs are called herds, and while they may look similar, um, as Linda said, their social structure is different. They, they tend to uh, act different. We think of like something like a bear or something. It's simply not created to exist in a group like that. So the Bible portrays followers of Christ as sheep, and throughout Scripture we find numerous references to that. Uh, starting in the Old Testament, King David lived his life as a shepherd, and his psalms are full of references and comparisons to the sheep that he spent his days with, days and weeks and months at a time he spent either alone or with maybe one or two others with a flock of sheep. And so he saw a lot of of real-life comparisons in the lives of these sheep, and he wrote about that. Now, it's going to have the children um, recite Psalm 23. I don't know, there are enough of them here to do that this morning? I see some heads nodding, or was that shaking? So maybe we'll include everyone in that. 
because the children are a little are a little sparse this morning. So could we stand as a group, and the children especially, can we recite Psalm 23 as a group? I know it's very familiar, so we should be able to say it by memory. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Thank you. Be seated. So I think David does very well here in this psalm of covering both the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep, as well as what you might say a day in the life of a shepherd or or something like that. Um, Different things he says here, you know, a shepherd cares for his sheep. That's obviously his primary responsibility. He provides physical, emotional, and spiritual food for his sheep. Uh, He comforts and protects his sheep in time of danger and loss, and then he prepares a future of safety and rest for the sheep. And elsewhere in the Old Testament, we read Isaiah 40, verse 11, He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the land with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those with young. We know the picture that we have, the mental picture of a a shepherd. He often has a lamb in one arm, uh, maybe one that's really young or one that was injured or something. And he cares for him in a very personal way. Ezekiel 34, verse 31. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men, and I am your God. So right here, um, in this case, God is saying the, the direct relation between a shepherd and his flock and God and his people. Then in the New Testament, Mark 6, verse 34. Then Jesus saw the great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd, So he began to teach them many things. And this giving the mental picture of a group of sheep. um, And here again, I don't know. But if you were to take and make up a flock of sheep that were not used to being together, would they have their flock mentality established? I don't know. Or would they kind of mill around and have to learn um, who's boss, who's leader here? And I kind of picture... Maybe Jesus saying this, you're a bunch of sheep, but you don't really have a leader. You don't really know what you're doing here. And he had compassion on them like that. So how are we as people like sheep? A number of points here. Number one, sheep have no sense of direction. As was said, they are followers. They will naturally follow a leader, whatever and whoever that leader might be. And the last couple of years, the word sheeple, has become more common, and we know where that comes from. It refers to people who blindly follow someone or something, often without seeming to have put much thought into why they're doing what they're doing. And it's not really a very endearing term, as accurate as it may be sometimes, but I think it's a a term of warning, if you please. Um, Do we know what we're following? Do we know what we're, who's leading us? Uh, Matthew 10, verse 16, gives a warning. 
Jesus tells his disciples, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So Jesus is warning them that um, we tend to seek to follow someone, and we are going to be bombarded every day by people, by ideas, uh, many of which are not for our good. They're even, some of them are even intent on destroying us. And sometimes it may feel like we are sheep in the midst of wolves. The wolves are circling. And Jesus warns to choose carefully who we will trust, who we will believe. And we've been created in such a way that we, we are created to put our trust in somebody. And God put that need there so people would trust in him. If we did not have that need, that desire to trust, we would not turn towards God. But he created that need there, but that need, that need needs to be directed in the right way needs to be filled by something that is trustworthy. Number two, sheep are defenseless. And sheep do not have sharp claws, do not have sharp teeth to attack their enemies. And their only means of protection is either to run away or else to huddle close as a group. Now sometimes the adults will attempt to kick an attacker, but if a single sheep becomes separated from the group, its chances of survival against an enemy are pretty low. So we, like sheep, need the protection of a shepherd. The shepherd traditionally carries a wooden staff or a stick that he uses for defense against um, attackers, whether it's you know coyotes or wolves or whatever, as well as then to rescue a sheep who might have fallen into a hole or a briar patch or whatever. And sheep can't get up if they fall on their backs. Now, again, this is a I didn't really realize this. But I guess if a sheep finds itself upside down, it often can't get the right way up again. I guess this is especially true if they have a really thick coat of wool or the mothers sometimes when they're um, bigger, they, they, they can't get back up again. And without help, that sheep could eventually die with its legs sticking in the air. And the, the shepherd's term for this is cast down. So they refer to that as a cast sheep, one that is on its back and that cannot right itself again. And obviously that is one of the things a shepherd watches for, is a sheep in that position, that situation, and needs to get it back up quickly. If I'm not mistaken, the longer it's upside down, the longer it takes to be able to stand again. I think I read that somewhere as well. They get a little... A little turned around upstairs and take some time to get them back on their feet again. And there again, um, you know, we could draw a lot of um, comparisons for that for our own lives as well. Uh, the longer someone is left to struggle on its own, on their own, probably the longer it takes for them to, to recover, whatever term you want to use there. Number four, the sheep learn to recognize the shepherd's voice. Um, nowadays, we often, if we see a flock of sheep, they're often herded by a dog or something. And there's some breeds of dogs that are especially good at that. They have an instinct for herding sheep. And it's very interesting to watch the way the dog will work with the sheep. And without, without breaking up their herd or their, their flock instinct, so they're not a herd, but they are herded anyway. Yeah. So he will herd the sheep very carefully. and But... Longer ago, when there was a shepherd present all the time, the shepherd would not chase the sheep. The shepherd would lead the sheep. The sheep would learn to follow the shepherd by recognizing the shepherd's voice. And there was no chasing needed. 
Once the sheep learned to recognize the shepherd's voice, the shepherd would call them and did not need to chase them. Uh, The sheep followed him because they trusted him. And again, as anything else, this trust took some time to build, and they did not follow a voice that they did not recognize. And again, the same is true for people. We generally do not follow someone with whom we are not familiar. And again, that comes with a warning. What we focus on becomes the familiar. Whether it is the voice of the shepherd or the voice of somebody else, we typically follow what becomes familiar. If we focus on that, that is what we follow. So be very intentional about what becomes the familiar in your life. Number five, sheep are very emotional. Uh, Sheep form friendships with other sheep, and they become distressed when their friends are hurt or when they die, again, much like we do. Uh, Number six, sheep are not meant to carry burdens. Now, I'll confess these are not my points here. I picked these off of somewhere, and I found something that's very interesting. When you think about it, um, you don't often see a sheep that's loaded down. They're not pack animals. Um, Unlike horses, donkeys, oxen, sheep don't last very long carrying much weight on their backs. They quickly lose strength and they tire. So do we ourselves become overburdened sometimes with too much weight, too much responsibility? Um, do we think, well, I've got this under control, or at least, you know, we feel maybe we have no choice but to just carry on. Um, too much weight for too long will not make a sheep stronger, but it will cause him to break. And again, I think we need to be careful that we um, are aware of, of that as well. We must be honest enough to admit when the load becomes too heavy and allow others to help us or whatever that need might be to place it on God. Number seven, sheep will settle for less than the best. Again, something I did not know. But if a a sheep is thirsty, it will stop and it will drink from the first mud puddle it comes to. Even if there is a source of clean water only a few feet away, Um, A sheep says, oh, that's just too far, and he'll stop and he'll drink from the muddy water instead of a little more effort to find something that's good. So whether it's laziness or short-sightedness, I don't know. I think we can somehow relate, sometimes relate to, sometimes easier to settle for something that takes less effort than work towards what we know would be better. Number eight, sheep are valuable. Again, we don't see much of this around us today. Um, We don't have much of that sort of thing. Uh, Sheep aren't near as common as in some parts of the world. But in the Bible, back in the Bible times, a man's worth was numbered by the size of his flocks of sheep, donkeys, and other animals. Um, Sheep provided milk. They provided uh, meat and also wool. They kept a man's family clothed. And in the Jewish culture, they also provided lambs for sacrifices. So they provided the whole spectrum of physical as well as spiritual needs for um, many, many families throughout history. Point nine, sheep cannot care for themselves when wounded. And again, if you have um, a dog or a cat or something, if it gets a cut or a scratch, it'll lick that wound until that wound heals. And a sheep apparently cannot do this. Again, something that I learned. Um, without someone to care for and dress for that, dress that wound, that wound becomes infected and eventually will lead to death. So a sheep needs someone to care for its wounds. And like the thing with the burdens, 
um, do not have the power to heal themselves. Many times we must rely on others to help us heal, and only God can heal some of the deepest wounds. Number 10, sheep are innocent. Probably the one thing we think of as well, uh, sheep, the, the little lamb, uh, symbolizes gentleness, purity, innocence. Lambs were used for sacrifices because they represented something that was spotless and pure. Um, Jesus chose to identify himself as both the Lamb of God as well as the Good Shepherd and gave us a perfect example of both a sheep and a shepherd. But as far as the innocent thing there, uh, I remember when we were younger, uh, Dad thought it would be cool if we had a little lamb for a pet. Now, I don't know where he got that idea, but he thought it was neat. Um, so he asked one of our friends that um, had hauled animals for a living if he could watch for a little lamb at the, at the uh, sale. And the guy brought a, a goat, which looks a lot the same when they're small, but they're not. Um, a goat is quite different than a lamb. And as it grew up, um, we learned that a goat's habits are, are certainly not desirable. Um, we had some interesting times with the goat, but uh, when Jesus talks about dividing the sheep and the goats, there, there is a vast difference. Uh, goats are not what I would consider very innocent little creatures. So just an interesting thought there. Um, and along with that, on a more serious note, uh, while the lamb is often represented as a Christian, um, Satan then often uses the goat symbol to um, signify his domain, again, as a substitute for the lamb. I'd like to read John chapter 10, uh, the first 16 verses there. talks a lot about Jesus' role as a shepherd. <coughs> John chapter 10, uh, 1 through 16. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who enter, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come they might have life, they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling, hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus tells a lot here about his role as a shepherd. Uh, verse 1, he mentions a sheepfold. A sheepfold is a safe place where the sheep can rest, often where they spent the night, a place they did not have to worry about their enemies, a place that was guarded 
only one way in or out, and that was guarded by the shepherd. Uh, Verse 3, we are known by name. The shepherd takes time to learn to know his flocks, the individual personalities, the differences. Um, We hear today advertisements, you are not just a number, and they're trying to tell us that we're special. But to Jesus, we were never a number. He knows each of us better than we know ourselves. Verse 4, he leads the way. A shepherd does not allow his sheep to walk where he has not walked first. He walks first, he clears the briars, kicks the rocks off the path, kills the snakes, whatever else, doing his best to prepare a way that is safe. This does not suggest that the path will always be easy, but we do not walk it alone. And then verses 7 through 15, there is only one true shepherd. Many others will come who claim to know the way. Um, They may claim to know an easier way, one without some of the hardships. But as verse 12 says, when difficulties come, they will abandon their flock and they leave the sheep to fend for themselves, which, as we know from earlier, the sheep are not able to do. The good shepherd will and has literally given his life for his sheep. He continues to lead, to search, to call as many as will hear him, to follow him. And Jesus shows by example how to be a shepherd, as well as also being the perfect lamb. And we too are called to be both. Um, I spent most of the time looking at, in many ways, how we are like sheep and the lessons that we can learn from that. But Jesus also asks us to follow his example in being a shepherd for others as well. In the last chapter of John, as Jesus prepares to leave his disciples for the last time, he has a final conversation with Peter. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon said unto Jonah, Do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon said unto Jonah, Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Now Peter was a fisherman his whole life, and that was a rather difficult, uh, rough occupation. Um, We don't read of Peter playing a harp like David did. I don't think fishermen did that. Now, Jesus is asking this rough fisherman to change and become a shepherd in that he was to care for new believers. And Peter, in a sense, signifies, represents the church, I believe. And in Jesus asking him to feed his sheep, he is asking the church down through the New Testament into today to continue that role of shepherding as well to guide, to protect, and to care for fellow sheep, as it were, and to not forget that we've been created for each other, not just for ourselves, and that we both need a shepherd and are called to shepherd others. This Christmas season, let's remember to thank the Good Shepherd for what he has done for us and all that he will continue to do for us. Let's stand for prayer and then remain standing for a final song. Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son as a lamb to be offered in payment for our sins. But thank you, too, for his continuing role as our good shepherd, one who guides us, protects us, and leads us through life in the valleys as well as on the mountains. Help us like sheep to trust him and to learn to know and follow his voice. 
Help us as well to have that same love for those around us, those who, like ourselves, need direction and encouragement through life. Give us your love, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.